there's a double-edged sword to scaling, right? On one side, it's really exciting. Like this means if you are scaling. You are listening to Amplifier Success Podcast, episode 314. And today, let's learn what cash eating monsters are and how they're stealing your cash. You ready for this? Let's get started. Welcome to the Amplify Your Success Podcast. Get ready to ramp up your revenue, amplify your impact, and make your mark in the world. This is the show for experts, thought leaders, and service professionals who want to shatter their limits and achieve that next level. You're going to find out from other experts and influencers how they made it. Now, let's get Amplified. Hey there, inspired entrepreneurs and business leaders. It's Melanie Benson, your host, Amplifier Success. And today I'm looking forward to sharing this conversation where I actually learned a few things myself about what steals our cash and how to go about setting your business up to move beyond the early seven figures, not even to six figures, but seven figures. It's a really interesting conversation. As you're figuring out how to plug the profit drains in your business, you're also going to want to make sure that you're setting your business up to produce profits. And there's no better way to do that than making sure that you have consistent and profitable authority platforms in place that will help you transform your superpower and your magnetic message into a steady stream of premium clients, which can lead to another 125000 a year in business or maybe more. I would love to share my seven-step framework with you. This is the same system I've used over and over and over again since I started my business in 2000. Yes, 2000. And I've used it every time I need to reinvent myself. I want to boost traction. I'm introducing a new offer or I'm tweaking my brand. This is what I use and it works when you work it. So download the plan at amplifywithmelanie.com and let's make sure we get your new year off to a strong start. If you find that you go through that plan and you're like, wow, how do I do this? Or this area never works for me. I don't know how to make this work. Watch for the invitation to book a fast track session with me and let's turbocharge not just your income, but your impact and your influence too. So head over to amplifywithmelanie.com and let's get you set up for a powerful 2023. Now let's get into today's episode. Welcome back, Amplifiers. Today, we are talking about one of our community's most coveted topics, and we're talking about building profit by avoiding what my guest calls the cash-eating monsters. So let me introduce you to Rachel Cook. She is on a mission to end entrepreneurial poverty of time, energy, and money for women business owner. Business owners, I should say. She is an MBA-trained business growth strategist, founder of the CEO Collective, host of Promote Yourself to CEO podcast, and a best-selling author. And over the last 16 years, she has helped thousands of female entrepreneurs design predictably, predictably profitable businesses without the hustle and burnout that doing hashtag all the things inevitably accomplish. So you've probably seen Rachel uh, on stages all over. She's a sought-after speaker, on entrepreneurship, marketing, and productivity. She's been featured on Forbes and Business Insider, Entrepreneur Magazine, and Washington Post. Rachel, thank you for joining me today. We're we're gonna like talk, we're gonna go there today. We're gonna have this talk. And I think this is a perfect time to have this talk about what's really getting in the way of profit. Yes, I'm so excited to dive into this. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we've um, already alluded to these cash eating monsters. So I think we should maybe unpack that a little bit and help our, our community, our listener today really understand like, what is a cash eating monster and how do we recognize them and hopefully avoid them? Yeah. I think this is such a huge topic for entrepreneurs to not hide from because a lot of talk out there in the world and the internet entrepreneur business owner world is all about top line revenue, right? That is the glamorous side of entrepreneurship is I have a seven, eight, and now it's like 10 figure. Like the numbers are only going to get higher by the way, because everybody's drawn to them. Everybody's drawn to that idea of like making millions, But when you see behind the scenes of as many businesses as you and I do, you start to realize that there are a whole lot of multi-million dollar businesses where the owner is not making that much money. They're really not bringing home nearly as much as they could. Mm -hmm. And there are so many reasons for that that I call the cash-eating monsters. And the cash-eating monsters can come in so many different ways. One huge way I see for a lot of entrepreneurs is we tend to just keep purchasing things um, without doing a little bit of a pause to evaluate, are all these things actually serving my business? And we end up with a lot of bloat in the things that we're paying for for our business. So one of the things that I run into all the time, if you've ever signed up for a free trial for a software and then suddenly you're paying $50 a month, you'd be amazed how quickly that And as your business grows, suddenly you have like thousands of dollars that you're spending every single month as it's very large. It could be tens of thousands of dollars for softwares and things that you don't even need anymore. Or something else I tend to see is some of these companies are amazing and they're adding additional functionality into their software that you're already paying for. But now because they've offered this additional functionality, you can drop three other things that you no longer need to pay for. So that's one area that can quickly become a cash eating monster. We tend to love tools. We tend to love the technology and the things that are supposed to make our business easier. But if you're not regularly doing an audit of what all these things do, is there any way I can consolidate them? Is there any way I can um, drop down the level of service that I'm using? Is there anything I can do to minimize those expenses? They just secretly add up and you don't even realize that you're spending this money. It's so easy to just forget until you look at the end of the year and go, oh, wow, I spent a lot on software that maybe I didn't need to spend. That is one of the easiest things um, to do is just sit down and do an audit. The other area that can be quickly become a cash eating monster is your team. And this isn't to say that you don't have a need a team. I love having my team. I absolutely think having a team is one of the biggest things that help you get to the seven-figure mark. However, it's really easy to continue hiring people and hiring people without having true clarity about what is their role truly in this business? How are they helping us get to the business goals? What is the ROI for this person coming into the team? And I start to see this with entrepreneurs who um, have built these, they think they need to have a really big team and they really don't. They could probably let go of a few things, 
Um, but I personally ran into this. I had a team that I kept hiring people because I thought, oh my God, you're so talented. You're amazing. I need you on my team. And after a few months, I was struggling to find things for them to do. I was struggling to um, keep them busy enough to justify what I was paying on their retainers. So this is one area I think we need to really think about is can we have a lean team instead of continuing to say yes to another $3,000, $5,000 retainer every single month? Because those things stack up so quickly. And the first thing I look at is, is this role actually creating either a return of investment? So that person's coming in, I'm paying them five grand a month. And because they're doing this role, we're able to make two to three times that. So return on investment, or are they able to give me back a return on my time or a return on my energy? Mm-hmm. And that's to me, the bigger thing um, really is we tend to think that if we have a team they're just going to take all this stuff off of our plate. And we forget the fact that each person you're adding to your team is a layer of management. And there is a capacity problem there because once you get to five to eight people on your team, suddenly you need to bring in another person just to manage those people. Because if you don't, you become the manager, you stop being the CEO, you stop driving the business forward. And instead you're managing everybody, trying to keep everybody on the same page, trying to keep everybody moving forward. So that's another huge cash eating monster that can get away from us very, very quickly. If we're not incredibly discerning about how we're going to invest in team and strategically grow our team so that we're not kind of biting off more than we can chew at a time. Hmm. I'm, I really appreciate that you brought return on investment into the conversation. I think that's a term we throw around a lot and we talk about, and we kind of know we need to get a return on investment, but I don't know that people really understand, okay, so how does that apply, right? Like, how how do I measure the investment? Like, is it a 10 times return on investment? Is it double my investment? Like, uh, I think it would be really interesting to unpack that a little bit more. And, um, you know, when we're basically, you know, we're investing in things all the time without a lot of clarity about how they're going to return the energy, time, and money. So when you're advising your clients, do you have like a gauge of, how you advise them to shoot for a certain level. I mean, I personally would hope that each person you're bringing on your team is going to give you a two to three X ROI, meaning they're going to be able to generate that much back into your business. Now it varies a ton because someone who is doing more, maybe administrative behind the scenes stuff, they're not a revenue generating team member. So they're going to have a lower ROI. What they're really giving you back is return on time and energy right? But for the people who are closer to the actual sale happening, the people who are doing the marketing, the people who are doing the sales, the people who are delivering the product program or service, their ROI is much clearer. And that's when we want it to be much more, right? Mm -hmm. So we want that person helping with your marketing to get you a five to 10 ROI, um, a five to 10 X ROI. And I think this is where in a lot of the businesses we have today, because they're more knowledge-based, it's not like people are actually, you know, making widgets or what have you. Um, It's a lot easier to figure out if this person is helping you increase revenue, if they're actually not just paying their way, but helping you grow, because you see it really quickly when you're putting 
investment in the right areas. When you're putting it closer to the sale, you'll see it much faster. Yeah, good advice. I, 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 I personally think you know having my time freed up is just as valuable as ha- having somebody make money for me. But there does become a time for at least in my experience where that flips, and and you've got to have a balance of both. You've got to have people that are helping to drive the money and free you up so you can keep investing your energy into growing the business. So that's really good advice. Absolutely. So you know, as we going back to these cash eating monsters for a minute, like. Mm-hmm. What are your recommendations on like, where should we be investing our time as the CEO of our business? Like, all right, we're freeing ourselves up. We're, we're like pulling ourselves out of you know, money. That's not really growing the business or there's, there's a redundancy that doesn't serve us. Like where should we be investing right now? Yeah. This is one of my favorite exercises to do with all of my clients is to write your new job description as CEO. Because what happens is each time you hire someone in your small business, you're essentially firing yourself from that role. So you hire someone new in your business, you wrote the job description, you are very clear about what roles are taking on, what they're responsible for. But what we often don't do is sit down and re-clarify our role. And if we don't take the time to re-clarify our role, then we tend to get into trouble. And that often turns into the CEO becoming a bottleneck going and trying to micromanage or getting in the way of their team because they don't really have that clarity around where they should be spending the time and their energy. So the first part of being the CEO is being the visionary of the business, right? You need to continue looking forward, charting the course, saying, here's where we're going. Here's what this business is here to do. So vision is a huge piece of it. The second big piece of it for most small business owners is the CEO truly is the face of the business and the rainmaker, the person who is out there doing the marketing, doing the higher level sales, getting more clients into the business. So if you're not out on the front end of the business enough because you're too busy in the weeds, you're too busy in the day-to-day, you're too busy trying to manage the team, then at some point you're going to find yourself in a real cash crunch because you haven't been going out there to get more people to hear about your business. So I think those are the two things when I work with CEOs that we're talking about all the time is what is your role? It's the visionary. It's being the rainmaker, the person who's bringing these new business opportunities, these new clients, new deals into the company. And then the final thing I think about is what is your zone of genius as the CEO? Because everybody's is a little bit different. And this is where you have to really have a lot of um, self-understanding. Like you really have to know yourself very well, know your strengths very well, know what you do better than pretty much anyone. So in my business, I am the person who is driving the content forward. Like that is where I do really, really well. So one of my roles as a CEO in this company is also the person who is creating the intellectual property for the company, which means my podcast, content for my clients, all the frameworks and trainings and strategy that we're coming up with. I'm the person creating those things. But because I have clarity on that's what I do best, better than pretty much anyone else, my role in hiring is getting people who fill in all the gaps. Where I'm not good is details and logistics and all of those, you know, smaller, uh, in the weeds kind of day-to-day things. I need to be out of that completely and be focused on what's my zone of genius, which is the content creation, the intellectual property. Mm -hmm. So I think those are my 
my three things I would tell anybody who's not clear on where they should be spending their time or energy. You're the visionary, you're the rainmaker, and then your zone of genius. What is your zone of genius? I have some people who their zone of genius is they're super extroverted and they can go network like crazy. And if that's their zone of genius, I would be telling them you should not spend every single day in front of your computer. You should be out. You should be traveling. You should be going to things. You should be talking to people. You should never eat lunch by yourself. (laughs) That's not me. I'm a super introvert, right? I am totally happy behind my mic, recording content, creating things. Um, I know other people who are, I mean, there's just so many different talents that people have that they can lead with. I know other people who are really great at negotiating big opportunities and they can go out there and find those big corporate contracts or those big government contracts for their small business. And that's incredible. Like they should be putting more of their time and energy there. So I think if you can get the clarity there and each time you hire someone else new on your team, you ask yourself, does this change my role? Do I need to rewrite my role and responsibilities? It will help you not become the bottleneck and not get in the way of this team you're trying to build. Yeah, well said. You said something that made me think of, and I and I, I didn't quite, it didn't stick in my head, but I think you were talking about like getting in the weeds and all the overwhelm. And I think there's a, there's, there's this, experience that so many entrepreneurs have as they get all the puzzle pieces together, they, the business is growing and they, they hit this kind of like scale overwhelm, right? Like all the good stuff is happening and it's almost like they can't keep up with it. Like what, like, let's say, you know, somebody's in that space, what is the best thing for them to do to navigate this really good kind of overwhelm? It can be good, but I'm going to say there's a double-edged sword to scaling, right? On one side, it's really exciting. Like this means if you are scaling, you are resonating with people. They are excited about what you have to offer. They are ready to buy from you. But it also brings another challenge, which is delivering on that and making sure that the infrastructure of your business can handle it. So you have to be careful when you're scaling because there can be catastrophic growth. Catastrophic growth happens when a business scales faster than they can deliver, faster than they can manage, faster than they can actually create the product or, you know, take care of their clients. And what ends up happening with those businesses is they end up having sort of an implosion. And we've seen it with companies so many different times where they grow too fast and they don't have the infrastructure in place. So the first thing is it is okay to slow down. It's always okay to slow down. Like there's only so long your business can grow at light speed before it's going to take a toll on everyone. In the startup world, it's a little easier for them to grow at light speed because they've got a lot of investment usually, right? And this is where I think people in the small business founder self-funded space (laughs) get in trouble because um, unless you went out and got VC investment, you might not be able to support catastrophic growth. You might not be able to support, you know, 10xing your business within a year because of how many people you're going to have to hire and how many things you're going to have to continue investing in. So this is one thing I always encourage people to do is just one, slow down, slow down. It's okay. You can slow down and be more strategic in how you decide to do growth. Um, you can be more intentional with the entire thing. And if you're getting overwhelmed, it's probably because you're prioritizing speed over everything else. 
But that can lead to a whole cascade effect of, of problems that we also talked about before, which is the cash eating monster. The cash eating monster will happen. And once you have a lot of team that you're trying to hire, you'll also have team churn. You'll have people leaving and entering the business. You'll have so much going on that it will only get more complicated. So slow down and simplify. Those are my two big things if you're scaling really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Big themes around here. <laughs> One of my yep. first coaches said, slow down to speed up. And at the time I was like, what, what are you talking about? We have money to make, we have people to serve. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I see now why this works. <laughs> it's so, it's so true. And it's when you're slowing down to speed up, it needs to be, to be intentional about how you're going to grow. Right. So when people say slow down to speed up, they don't mean slow down, but then go create 10 other offers. They mean slow down, optimize everything, systematize everything, put the processes in place, put the infrastructure in place, put the team in place so that you can go a little bit further next time. And the thing is, there's going to be periods where you'll have to do it again and again and again. Each time you get to a new level of growth, things are going to break, right? So things are always breaking in businesses as they grow. As you get to the next level of growth, you're going to have to remind yourself, okay, we just went through this big ramp up. Now we need to pause. We need to regroup. We need to make sure all of the infrastructure is really solid so that we can go after the next big surge. Yeah, well said. Well, while we're talking about surges, and uh, I think we we need to just address that there's also times where there's uh, not surges and you know, we're, we're having a lot of, uh, media, uh, attention, if you will, on this idea that we're, we're in a looming, we're, we're having a looming recession. We're on the brink of recession. And I think, you know, we were talking about this in the green room a little bit about how, how we navigate recessions and yeah. some very different, uh, advice that you have for people to ready, like be recession ready, so to speak, <laughs> you know, let's get practical for a minute. Like, what would you tell people who are maybe a little concerned about what's coming? Yeah. I think the first thing to think about is recession is just a natural part of our economy. Like there's going to be growth periods. There's going to be periods of slowing. It doesn't need to become something that freaks you out or has you panicking as you're making business decisions. Cause panic is not a good business strategy. It's just not, you're going to make bad decisions. If you're panicked. The first thing I always think about when I'm looking at a recession is how are you managing your money? How are you managing your money in your business? This is so important. Most businesses are only one or two months away from not being able to pay their bills. It's very much like living paycheck to paycheck just for small business. And I think the same principles need to apply to business. You have to be ahead of your finances. You have to know not only what's coming in and what's going out, but you also have to make sure you have a runway in case something changes. Because when a recession happens, this is where people start cutting back on a lot of spending. This is where companies start cutting back on a lot of spending if you are B2B. So you might find that your sales might slow down or you might lose a couple contracts. So what are you doing to take care of yourself and take care of your company? Well, the first thing needs to be, how are you setting aside money into some sort of reserve account 
for at least three to six months of operating expenses. And please include your actual pay for yourself in that too, because nothing is worse than your business hitting a cash crunch. And then suddenly you can't pay yourself. And then you have to pull from your personal account. And now you're really in a hole. And I've seen it way too many times. People who lose everything because they haven't set aside a a reserve account. So that's my first thing is start putting money aside into a reserve account. If you don't currently have one, at least three to six months, if your business is, um, if your business is more B2B, more high-end consulting, you might need a year just because those contracts take a lot longer to land. But three to six months is good for a lot of small business owners. And what that will allow you to do is have a client or two leave and you'll still be able to pay your bills. You won't have to make those panicked decisions. Mm. And and I think, you know, recession aside, like I think as entrepreneurs who we are the talent, you know, you are the product, so to speak, this is a really important practice all the time, because if you get sick, you get hurt, you know, something happens, it's unexpected, like having that, that reserve is a very healthy practice to have in all (laughs) the times that you run your business. It's huge. It's to me, it's peace of mind. It is just peace of mind knowing that something crazy could happen today, this week, this month, and I will have time to recover. Mm -hmm. And I want to say for anyone who's going, okay, three to six months, where is that going to come from? If you have not been setting this aside, go to the bank that you do business with and talk to them to see if they have a business line of credit or something along those lines. If you've already done business with them, they're much more likely to work with you. But when a recession happens, things start to tighten up. It starts to get harder to get access to money. So it's better to go get it now before things get even tighter, even if you don't need it right now. It's again, it's peace of mind. It's there if you need it. You've secured it for if you need it. If you don't need it, cool. Just don't touch it. It's just sitting there. But it takes so much pressure off of you knowing that, you know, you've got that cushion to protect your personal finances and to make sure you can still pay your team and you can still keep things moving. Yeah, it's so smart. I I personally have found that it's easier to make big leaps in your business and make growth decisions with the peace of mind knowing I've got a cushion, I've got a reserve. And if this does not go the way we're planning, I'm not going to fall apart. Like I'm not going to lose everything. Having that, um, like making decisions from a place of scarcity and it's like, this has to work is not a great mindset for growth. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think along these lines too, another thing I would do is evaluate your offers. We want to make sure as you're going into a recession that one, make sure your offers are as profitable as possible. (laughs) And this might mean you let go of some offers that truly aren't profitable. Um, This happens very often in small businesses. We come up with new products, programs, or services. We don't really evaluate what's going on with them, but the expenses continue to increase. And Sometimes you might realize that something you started when it was just you, maybe it was super profitable, but now that you've got a team or now that you've got more overhead, or now that you've got people actually doing the work for you or for your clients, those prices might need to change. The offer might need to change. So you really want to be evaluating not just the profit margin of your business, but profit margin of each individual offer and focus on the offers that are the most profitable. 
Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this a lot in people who have um, more physical product-based businesses. They have to evaluate a lot right now between the increase in costs for a lot of their raw materials or manufacturing or all the supply chain related things. If they're not constantly evaluating things, it does not take long before suddenly it's actually costing them money to create this off this product. And the same thing can happen in service-based businesses. You just have to be really, really strategic looking at them and go, what is the highest profit margin? And on the same side of that, what is my lowest stress? I call this your stress to dollar ratio. So what is your highest profit margin offer? And what is the lowest stress offer? You want to find things that are high profit, low stress for you and your business. If they're high profit, low stress, it's so much easier to scale than if maybe they're kind of profitable, but they take a ton of your time and your energy and your emotional focus to deliver. Mm, Well said. Love that. Love it. Love it. You know, um, I would love it if you would share with our community, uh, maybe a a great resource for, for our entrepreneurial community to take that first step and get clear about like, where should they be investing their time? What, you know, what is the way that they need to be uh, boosting their profits? Yeah. One of my favorite tools, I mean, I have a lot over on my website, but I will give one that I think is a great place to start when it comes to looking at the numbers that we're talking about. Cause I get it. It's, it can feel overwhelming and scary. I created a tool called the get paid calculator. And I think this is really helpful going into a season like this, an economic season like this, because it starts with really looking at one, what do you as the business owner need to take home from this business? There's too many entrepreneurs out there who are only paying themselves like whatever happens to be left over at the end of the month. And instead of their business truly serving them and helping them create true financial freedom, the business is just a very expensive job <laughs> that they're not getting the the true benefit from. So we start there, like, what does your business need to pay you? And then we're looking at what does the revenue need to be to support that paycheck you want to bring home? Once you get that revenue number, it also spits out a budget for how much you should be setting aside for tax, for profit, for operating expenses. And then the final part of this calculator lets you plug in each of your offers and make sure that you're super clear on what the price point needs to be, how many of those you need to sell in order to achieve those revenue goals. So it's a great way to kind of plug in some numbers and the math already happens for you. You don't have to pull out a calculator because it will figure it all out for you and give you a lot of clarity in what should be going on in your business. Mm, Love that. And uh, let's just give everybody the URL, the ceocollective.com for slash amplify. I believe is where that that's at. Okay, good. I love asking my guests a couple of fun questions at the end of our conversation, because, you know, you have great strategies, obviously you've been doing this for a little while, but I know you've probably had to become somebody to, you know, like you've had to become the CEO, right? You have to learn to think a certain way to pull this off. What would you say is the boldest thing you've ever had to do to amplify the profits of your business? Mm. The boldest thing I've ever had to do to amplify the profits in my business, honestly, I think a lot of it for me is letting go of the fear of really honing in on exactly who I want to work with. Um, I 
I'm someone who is a people pleaser by nature. I, I don't think I'm unusual in that regard. But I had I've had so many people come to me over the years who want to work with me. And it is hard to turn people down. It is hard to say no. And even recently in my company, we made the decision, you know, that we're no longer going to work with people who are below a certain revenue level in the business. And that feels so tricky. It feels so hard to make those calls and say, I'm actually going to say no to this huge. And I mean, it's like 80% of small businesses are who I am not saying yes to anymore. So I've narrowed my focus down to really only the top 10%, the top 20% of women businesses. And that was really scary. But what happened when I did that was one, those women were excited because there's plenty of places for everybody else. There's not enough spaces for people who are further along in the journey, who are more advanced. Um, And they were happy to pay my much higher rate without stress about it which was, was huge. So there's a lot of mindset work to make those calls. Um, a lot of fighting against my desire to help everyone and anyone, but when you narrow your focus, amazing things happen. Hmm. I'm so glad you said that. I, I, I preach this all the time and I, and I think hearing somebody who's living it is, is a great testament to, yes, it does work. (laughs) It does. It's a little bit of a, a challenge just because it takes a little bit of time for your audience to adjust for your community Mm -hmm. to adjust. So it's kind of that messy middle when you're doing those kind of things. But this is like the third or fourth time over 15, 16 years I've had to do that. And each time I do, there's like a, a jump within the next year of what the business does. Yes. I've experienced the same thing. And I, and I, I know that very well, (laughs) you have to have the, um, the fortitude, I guess is the words coming to me to make it through the adjustment period and not give up on it. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Is is there anything you wish you would have done sooner? Ooh, anything I wish I would have done sooner in my business? Honestly, this is a great question. I wish I would have um gone against the grain a little sooner with my business in that the minute I started bringing in-person events into my business, even though everybody told me not to do it, <laughs> it was when the magic started really happening. And Mm -hmm. I realized that was something that uh, is truly in alignment with me and my personality and who I want to help. So I started doing in-person events in 2018 and it completely changed my business, but it took me like 10 years to say yes to that after really buying all the, it should be online only online, 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 scalable, scalable, scalable. Doing in-person is not as scalable. It's a lot more expensive, but I can make that up in other ways. Mm. And again, it's a bold move. You know, it's a bold move to go against the grain and to, to do the thing that everybody says, don't do that. It's not going to work for you, or it's like going to be too expensive. And, you know, trusting that little voice inside of us that says, this is our path is very bold (laughs) and it takes a little bit of confidence and muscle building to trust that voice. So thanks for sharing a great example of that. Rachel, it's been a real pleasure sharing the space with you today. And I really appreciate all of the (laughs) wisdom you've brought to the community today. Make sure you go take the, the calculator on getting paid. We'll link that up in the show notes for you. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today, Amplifier. Be sure to join us right now in the Amplify Your Authority community at authorityamplifiers.com, and I'll share my seven proven tips to be a highly paid expert that stands out in a crowded market. Plus, we're going to keep this conversation going, and I want to hear from you how you're going to amplify your authority and make a greater impact. Before you go, please take a minute to give our show and our guests some love over on your favorite podcasting platform. Subscribe, rate, and review. Leave your full name, and I'll spotlight you and your authority on social media. 